The reading today is from Psalm 87. That is uh, page 596 in the Church Bibles. So, reading from Psalm 87. Of the sons of Korah, a psalm, a song. He has set his foundation on the holy mountain. The Lord loves the gates of Zion more than all the dwellings of Jacob. Glorious things are said of you, O city of God, Selah. I will record Rahab and Babylon among those who acknowledge me. Philistia too, and Tyre, along with Cush, and will say, this one was born in Zion. Indeed, of Zion it will be said, this one and that one were born in her, and the Most High himself will establish her. The Lord will write in the register of the peoples, this one was born in Zion, Selah. As they make music, they will sing, All my fountains are in you. It's always good to be here, guys. Um, Thanks for, if you knew I was coming and you still turned up, I'm I'm buzzing. Um, If anyone can go and grab that energy drink from one of them kids, um, I could do with it. So just just, just snatch it, it's fine. Um, No, it's it's all good. Uh, But this is round two. Um, of, uh, of, of me preaching today, um, so uh, I'm excited for this passage. Um, I, this, this passage kind of found me really. Every week I meet up with one of the guys from Redeemer Church, who's one of the worship leaders in the church, and we study the Psalms together. And a few weeks ago we, um, we, we stumbled into Psalm 87 and got extremely excited in a coffee shop uh, on Wellfield Road. I assure you it was the spirit and not the caffeine that um, brought about the excitement. Um, and I said, I've got my text for Highfields. Told Dave, uh, this is it, I got my text, he put it down, and then I realised that when you say something like that in a, in a machine like Highfields, you're kind of tied in, do you know what I mean? You, you know, you, you can't say, I'll do it, and then like, I change my mind on Saturday night, that's not how they roll here, so I was like, I'm, I'm in. So I, I got into the text this week, and all of a sudden, I felt really weak and really small. This small passage of scripture is absolutely chock-a-block with just epic truth. I'm going to do a very poor job of explaining it to you. Um, but I spent the whole week asking God to help me to, in some way, bring all my excitement together so I can splurge it out all over you, and hopefully you're going to get something of that in a way which is helpful, edifying, and encouraging, and challenging. All right? So that's where we are. Psalm 87, um, if, you, if you've got a Bible, it's going to be on the screens, I think, in a minute as well. They're the most unimpressive PowerPoints ever. I just basically stuck the psalm on there on three different slides. I gave them three headings, sent the email to Dave, and then decided I got three other headings I'm going to work with as well, just to keep you on your toes. So there's the three theological sounding headings, I got three ninja headings then as well. We're going to look back, look around, and look forward. So like, with the three slides. So if you can deal with that, then we're going to be good to go. Alright, so, um, have I even got my microphone on? I haven't. It is working, isn't it? Yeah, good. All right. Um, so this last week, I had a friend, a new friend, came to visit from, uh, from Finland, and uh, he came to, to visit the city, so I took him on a tour of the city. It was quite exciting to do that. I said, this is, this is Adam's Down. This is like the center of the universe. There's a kebab shop. There's a barber shop. There's a kebab shop. There's a barber shop. There's a kebab shop. There's a barber shop. 
It's a brothel, it's a kebab shop, it's a barber shop, it's a kebab shop, it's a barber shop. And that's Adam's done for it. Better take him somewhere a bit nicer than this. Took him to the city centre. I said, right, this is it. This is Queen Street. Yeah, ignore all the shops that are shut down. They used to be really good. Um, but like, you know, we, we walked down. There's the cat. The castle's pretty good. Look at the castle. Awesome. There's the Principality Stadium. Probably the greatest stadium on planet Earth. Um, not just because of the fans who fill it. But look how close it is to the, to the city centre. Look, you can literally, you can just walk from the train station and you're there. You haven't got to get a taxi. There it is. Go to the pubs or the clubs and it's right there. And you go shopping afterwards, have a coffee. Brilliant. I did the kind of Cardiff tour, Butte Park. This is nice, isn't it? He's like, yeah, this is good. And I did my tour guide bit. As you can tell, I've missed my calling in life. <laughs> Maybe if I ever retire from gospel preaching, I'll get an open-top bus and do it all again. <laughs> kebab shop, barber shop, kebab shop, barber shop. Like, it'll be great. Anyway, this psalm, we are taken on a, a tour of very excited worship leaders. The sons of Korah were worship leaders. Their job was to get people passionate about the Lord and wanting to worship Him, as it says in the title. It's a psalm of the sons of Korah. It's a psalm and it's a song. I don't fully know the difference, to be honest with you, but loads of psalms are both a psalm and a song. This is to be sung. And they're really excited about this city. In fact, you can almost imagine them walking around this city just wanted to just burst out in joyous, like, you know, praise and wanted to just extol the virtues of this incredible city. And the city that they're in is the city of Zion or the city of Jerusalem. Won by King David in 2 Samuel chapter 5. This is a city which um, was, was, was so meaningful to the people of God. It was a place where the, the David's son Solomon built the temple. The temple being the place where God, um, holy God, would dwell with his sinful people, where sacrifice was made for sins where prayer was offered, where the people would come together and just marvel in the fact that God would choose them and love them and bless them. The, the, the psalm was probably written sometime around you know, sort of the end of 2 Chronicles, um, because we see in 2 Chronicles 20, uh, in the reign of Jehoshaphat, they're still there playing their guitars in the front line of battle, the, 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 the Korahites they're called. So it was probably written around that kind of time. And we're going to cast our minds back and look in the first instance at this glorious city that they were so excited about. Why were they so animated and excited about this city? Well, we see here in verse 1, they're excited because he has founded his city on the holy mountain. They were excited because God had done this. This was God's doing. This was God's work. David won the city, Solomon built the temple, but God is the one who founded the city. God is the one who is at work in the midst of all this. This city was synonymous with the blessing of God and the purpose of God and the pleasure of God and the plans of God. And so they're excited because he's done this. He's founded his city on the holy mountain. Um, Jerusalem sits on a, a hill. It's surrounded by mountains. It's quite visually breathtaking. You can still go and visit it today. It's, you know, it's significantly, um, uh, you know, it just, just it's, it's location and the way that it's laid out is significantly um, sort of like awe-inspiring. And God has done this. And believe it or not, that actually f- forms the basis of our hope as Christians. That our faith is God's doing. That God is the one who takes the initiative. We don't save ourselves. Salvation is of the Lord, as Jonah prays inside a fish in Jonah t- chapter 2. So the city is synonymous with God's blessing, God's presence, God's favour. Because at the, at the heart of the nation of Israel was the city of Jerusalem. And the centre of the city of Jerusalem was the temple. And the temple was a place where the holy God said to his blessed people, I want to be in your midst, I want to dwell with you. 
despite your sin, despite your waywardness. I want to be here with you. My desire is to be with you. I love verse 2. The Lord loves the gates of Zion. I don't know if you guys ever get gate envy. Oh, I like that guy's gate. That's sick, that is. I don't know if, if, if that's you, you walk down the street, you say, like, just get in properly. You know, like, I like that. That gate's rubbish. I'll never get a gate like that. But like, why are the, why are the sons of Korah excited about these gates? Ah, oh, let me tell you why they're excited about these gates. Because these gates are so significant. And this is really helpful for me walking around Cardiff earlier in the week doing my tour guide bit. Um, just thinking about, um, you know, what, it, what it's like in the city centre. I said, look, you walk down St. Mary Street and just down there, down that little alley, that's the gate into the stadium. On a match day, you just see floods of red shirts, like just pouring through those gates. And they're all buzzing because they know we're going to win. Oh no, sorry, that's from an old sermon. Um, like, you know, and we're all praying that we're going to win. That's, that's more like it. And, um, and, but like, there's a buzz. People are going in full of passion and excitement and enthusiasm. The gates are a place of meeting and a, me- and a place of mutual kind of coming together. If you've got a Bible, have a little flick to Psalm chapter 9. Because in Psalm chapter 9, we find out just something really, really wonderful about the gates of Zion. I'm only going to read a couple of verses to you. Let's look at verses 13 and 14 of Psalm chapter 9. Lord, see how... This is written by by David. um, Lord, see how my enemies persecute me. Have mercy and lift me up. Where from? The gates of death. The gates of death. Like, you know, I am... am I'm in trouble, I'm in danger, I'm in peril. The gates of death is where I feel I am. Lord, would you rescue me from the gates of death? Why? Why is that, David? Verse 14, that I may declare your praises in the gates of daughter Zion and there rejoice in your salvation. The gates were a place where a saved people come together and go, can you believe he saved us? Can you believe how merciful God has been? What a gracious God we serve. How kind he has been. They've been talking about the different things that have happened in Israel's history. The exodus from Egypt, the redemption, the Passover. Different enemies that have like been conquered miraculously at different stages. And they'll be saying, we have a God who saves, he loves to save, and we are the saved. And so we flock into this city to pray and to praise and to worship and to just love the fact, delight in the fact, just like revel in the fact that we have a God who has saved us. That's why those gates are beautiful. I'm sure geograph not, not geographically, that's the wrong word. Like physically, they're beautiful as well. Maybe geographically beautiful, but that's like, you know, that's, that's not for me to say. Uh, but, the, you know, physically, I'm sure they were physically beautiful. But that wasn't what made the gates beautiful. What made the gates beautiful was the, the sincere, humble prayer of saved sinners celebrating the grace of their Saviour. But it says the Lord loves the gates. Because I believe the Lord loves it when we love his love. That when we choose to revel in his grace and say, Lord, you're amazing, you're wonderful and we love you. God delights in that. In fact, he inhabits that. God inhabits the praises of his people. So when, some of you, this, maybe even this morning, you came to church and you thought, you know what, I, I've got a million reasons why I didn't have to come to church. I've got a broken heart right now. I've got stuff stretching out my head right now. I'm tired. I've got questions. I don't even you know, know what's, 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 what's happening in my, in my mind, but... I'm going to go anyway and I'm going to do my best to lift my voice and gather with God's people. And I believe that God smiles on that sacrifice of praise. And says, I love it that even through a broken heart or a puddled mind, you still want to praise me. He loves that. As you poured into the lobby and poured up the stairs and poured into here, just know that God delights in that. And this is happening all over the world. 
in churches, in you know, so many nations, so many languages, doing it in so many different ways. But the purpose is to revel in God's grace. The Lord loves the gates of Zion more than all the other dwellings of Jacob. It was not because he ever dwellings of Jacob were dodgy or nothing like that. But, that. but the gates of Zion represented a grateful people who were just loving the grace of God. And in verse 3, as we're thinking about these just excited worship leaders, like look, pointing at parts of the city, going, look how good God is. Look at this, this, in this city, amazing. On this mountain, God's with us. By his grace, let's, he saved us by his grace. And then he, he, and then he bursts out with glorious things that said of you, city of God. Glorious things, like we are saying glorious things. Like who wouldn't comment on not just the physical and architectural beauty of this city, but the spiritual significance of this city. We are the most blessed people in the whole world right now. God in our midst, doing exploits on our behalf, saving us, sustaining us, sending us. Glorious things are said of you, city of God. But I believe that that is a hinge phrase. He's not just saying glorious things are said of you right now, but actually there's some more glorious things to say of this city. In fact, there's a sailor, which might not be in your, in your um, NIV Bible apart from as a footnote, but sailors are really important. It means, it means to pause or to take a breath or go and pour a coffee and think about it for a minute. That's not strictly in the Hebrew, but it works for me. So like the sailor is kind of like, you almost get the sense he's drawing breath. He's going, and he's about to speak some seriously glorious things. Yeah, this city's awesome. And people can see how awesome this city is. And people are saying things about this city because they can see the blessing of God over it. But, but, let's go to the next slide. Let's not just look back at that city. Let's look around now at what the psalmist can see. He says, I will record Rahab and Babylon. These are the lyrics now. Among those who acknowledge me. Philistia too and Tyre along with Cush. And we'll say, this one was born in Zion. And indeed of Zion it will be said, this one and that one were born in her. And the Most High himself will establish her. The Lord will write in the register of the peoples, this one was born in Zion. Now, what the Dickens is that about, you might be asking, or, so, or words to that effect. Well, that's a bit of fuzzy water. Is that from Aled's shoe? No. <laughs> Better. There's two under there. It's like it's a prank. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? But the one that's got too many bubbles for, for my peace of mind. Anyway, um, so bear in mind that this was written when Babylon wasn't friends with God's people. Did you know that... Um, Rahab is just, just a shorthand way of writing Egypt. Actually, it's not shorthand. It's in number letters, isn't it? But it, it, it means Egypt. Egypt and Babylon. Philistia is the home of the Philistines. If you've got even like, you know, basic Bible knowledge, you know that for a lot of Israel's history, those guys weren't on the same page. Goliath, ring a bell. And Tyre, also at one point enemies of God. But Tyre also being synonymous with wealth. And merchants with more money than they know what to do with. So, you know, just, just materialism and comfort, excess comfort. And Cush, probably referring to, e- to Ethiopia in northern Africa. Again, at one point, part of a force that tried to sack Jerusalem alongside the king of Egypt. But also, I guess, a picture of like, the nations being represented. The glorious things that have been spoken of the city haven't even come to pass yet. Because at the time of writing, these guys weren't born in Zion. They were against Zion. They were opposed to Zion. They were enemies of Zion. So the sons of Korah are actually casting their minds forward 
to a time when all of a sudden this city wasn't just going to be for the Jewish people or the people of Israel. This city actually was going to be, ha- be inhabited through birth, or should I say new birth, from people from all over the world. People who were enemies of God. And that's why I say look around. Because this isn't now just focusing on um, Jerusalem in the Middle East. This is talking about the glory of God's church. It's talking about what God was going to do to reach the nations, to bless the nations. The temple was the um, picture of God's presence, his blessed presence with his people. But at Christmas time, guess who rocks up? Baby Emmanuel. Emmanuel meaning God with us. Because God's plan was always to have more than just this city and, and, and this people group to be his people. So Emmanuel comes down. Jesus. And Jesus comes and he lives and he teaches and he does miracles and he dies a sinner's death and he's buried and he rises again. All for the purpose of this coming to pass. One of Jesus' earliest teachings in Matthew chapter 5. He says to his people on the mountaintop, you are the light of the world. Not just for this city and not just for this region or this nation, but for the world. You are the light of the world. And then he uses this phrase, a city set on a hill, cannot be hidden. So there's a city that's going, to be, that's going to illuminate the whole world. And what kind of people are going to be part of that city? What kind of people are going to be born in her? My friends, God's enemies. Who he, God will ultimately crush his enemies, but we live in a day of divine grace where right now, rather than crushing his enemies, the Lord gives grace to his enemies. They're not just the bad guys. We're the bad guys apart from grace. They're not just enemies of God. We are enemies of God apart from grace. They're not just wretches and rebels. We're wretches and rebels apart from grace. I mean, Babylon stands out in that list as almost the kind of, the biblical kind of, you know, uh, you know, focal point of what rebellion against God looks like. And you know, it's, even in Revelation, it's still being talked about. But le- listen to Ephesians chapter 2. And I want you to start seeing the significance of this beautiful passage in this ancient psalm. Ephesians chapter 2, I call this the zombie passage. For reasons that will become apparent. As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live. So if someone was alive and dead, what do you call that? It's a zombie, isn't it? Yeah? So, you were the living dead. You're walking around like everyone else, but inside you're dead. Spiritually dead. And that's who you were, Paul writes. When you followed the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient, that's Satan. All of us, all of us, also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath, or as the ESV puts it, children of wrath. Like we deserve wrath, we deserve God's punishment, his just punishment for our sins. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And the wages of sin is death. All of us belonged in the bracket of enemy of God, hostile against God and deserving of his wrath. But, verse 4, because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ, even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace that you have been saved. The gospel, the good news that works today, 
is that the enemies of God are given grace by a God who is absolutely loaded with mercy and saving grace. None of us are beyond His grace. None of you in here today are so far gone that God can't and won't forgive you. In fact, the worse the sin you bring in, the greater the grace and therefore the more epic the glory that Jesus Christ receives. Your sin is no match for his salvation. God saves his enemies. He opens that offer to, to all, not just to his chosen people back in ancient times, but today, everybody who is sat in a church like this and says, I'm part of this is a sinner who has found grace from God through Christ, through faith in Christ. That's all of us. All of us that were at one point dead in our sins, but he, by his grace, has made us alive together in Christ. Do you realise what a privilege it is to be able to call God Father? To say, I'm his family, not his enemy. To say, I'm clean, not filthy. To say that I don't fear condemnation anymore. To say that I'm heaven bound, not hell bound. Do you know what a miracle of mercy that is? How did it come about? Well, here in the passage, this one was born in Zion. This one and that one were born in Zion. How, how, how am I born uh, to, to be part of the city? How do you become part of the city? Well, in the words of Jesus in John 3, you must be born again. I've got a birth certificate. I'm really proud of it because it says Pontypool. The only person in my entire family born in that precious town. We've all lived there. But my sister was born in Cardiff. My parents were born elsewhere. My kids, even when we lived in Pontypool, the the, the, uh, maternity hospital was so dodgy they shut it down. For obvious reasons. And so all my kids who were born in Pontypool went up the crust and got birthed in Abergavenny. um, In Neville Hall. Uh, I got born in Panteg. My birth certificate says Panteg. But you know what? When I go, the, when I stand before the Lord at the end of all things, I don't say, look, Pony Pool. Angel's going to go. <laughs> Doesn't matter what your physical place of birth was, where you guys are from. I can see just casting an eye across the room. Some of you guys come from not just different parts of Wales or parts of the UK, different nations. God bless all of you. But that on your birth certificate isn't going to get you in. What gets you in is if your name is written in heaven. In Luke's gospel, in Luke chapter 10, Jesus, something he was crazy doing it, I think it's awesome that he did it, he sends his disciples off on a mission. Go and preach and heal and do epic spiritual things in my name. Cast out demons, all that. <laughs> Check it out the right one, that's all. And, um, and so they did and they go off and it, and it works, man. They're, they're healing people. They're preaching the gospel. People are being affected. Demons are scarpering. And they come back like, Jesus, Jesus is amazing. This is a paraphrase, obviously, right? It's amazing. Even the, even the demons are subject to us. Imagine standing at the gates at the end of, all, at the end of your life and saying, hey, I did all these awesome things for you. I don't, it's not about where I was born. But maybe it's about what I've done. I've done these amazing things. I was, a, I was in ministry. I was a leader. I, I, I did Sunday school. I sang in the choir. I, I studied the Bible every day. I, I prayed faithfully. Jesus said, look, to his disciples, he said, don't rejoice that demons are subject to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. That's the miracle. That's, that's what we're holding on to, guys. That's what we're holding on to. 
Because some of us, we struggle with where do we fit with all this and how do we cope with difficulties and hardships for whatever reason. Maybe it's because I got my, my own kids are going through exams right now and my own kids have got different issues that they obviously have ongoing had to contend with through school. But I've had the young people of this church really on my heart as I prepped this week. So I want to speak to you. Do you know what? I really pray you do well in your exams. Work hard. Do your best. You know, don't shirk. But even if you fail every subject, you get the worst grades in your class. If your name's written in heaven, you win. And maybe you feel that like you're the only Christian in your class or even your whole school. And you're like, I feel like an alien. Everyone around me, like, they, they, they think I'm weird because I go to church on Sunday. And I want to talk about Jesus. Every time I even try, I'm laughed at, I'm mocked out of town. Guess what? If your name is written in heaven, you're the most blessed person in that school. The most blessed person in that classroom. The most blessed person in this world. And maybe you guys are a bit older. Maybe you're students. You're thinking, I've got my whole life ahead of me. I want to be able to get a good job and get a good home. I want to get married one day and have a family. But even if none of those things happen, but your name is written in heaven, no one is more blessed than you. You guys pushing for promotion because you work hard and faithfully and you don't brown nose and you don't like cut corners and you work ethically and you work hard and you work well and you're, you're a really commendable employee. But every time you get looked over, But if your name is written in heaven, you are more blessed by anybody that gets that job instead of you. You parents who are creaking, who are thinking, I'm really struggling. I don't, I don't even know what I'm doing and I'm trying my best, but like, you know, I'm really worried about my kids. I'm worried about, you know, how I'm coping with this all. You know, I'm stressed out by it. And, but listen, even if you make mistakes as a parent, even if you blow it, if your name is written in heaven, don't lose sight of the blessing which is yours. You are the most blessed parent on the planet. I could go on and on and on, but you guys want lunch. <laughs> but like, you know, and if I, if I miss out your thing, I'm sorry. Yeah, whatever. Like, but brothers and sisters in Christ, I'm addressing Christians now. Not those who are thinking about it. Oh, I'll come to you in a minute. But like those you, those you guys who are in Christ, do you know how blessed you are to be able to say, my name is written in heaven? And look at the last bit. The, verse six, the Lord will write. In the register of the peoples. You don't get some, some angel to do it. The Lord writes it. How mad is that? And Revelation 7 tells us there's a, there's a multitude that no one can number. He's wrote a lot of names down. Praise God. That he personally takes interest in every single person. You are not a statistic to him. You are not saint number 10,5472. You are you. And he loves you. And he sent Christ for you. Because he loves you. And the cross of Christ, on which your sin was paid for, is the declaration and the proclamation and the demonstration of the love of God for sinners. God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. He died for you. So you can write your name in there. So you can face whatever you face and say, I am among the most blessed people on earth. We need to capture this again so we don't get distracted by the stupid things of this world. The treasures and the trinkets and the traps of this world that want to just draw us away from Christ. Draw us away from his grace. Draw us away from his people. Draw us away from the joy which is ours in him.
Because if it's not Christ, and it's not his gospel, and it's not his city, then it's going to crumble and perish and rust and fade. I spent much of the gap between the last service and this one aware that I just left my wallet in my unlocked car on Crewis Road. <laughs> I'm just trying to get away from the scripture that says even thieves break in and steal. It's like, they don't even need to break in, just pull the handle, because I know my car key doesn't work. But if it gets robbed, someone's literally down the pub now buying round after round on my, on my, credit, on my uh, debit card. My dad would never trust me with a credit card, and I don't blame him. By the way, I do make my own decisions now. Um, if I lose it all, I'm still more blessed than anyone else on this planet because my name is written in heaven. Is yours? Is yours? Can you say with confidence, not because of how well you live in or how well you're doing or how strong your faith is, but can you say because you believe by faith in the Son of God, you put your trust in his finished work on the cross and through the resurrection, and you said, I'm banking it all on you, Lord. Can you say that your name is in? I praise God. I praise God that when I get to the end of my life, I haven't got to give him a list of my achievements and say, I hope that outweighs the bad stuff. Because I know what both of them lists is like. I, it's not even like, it's like, I know that's going to happen. But I know that my name is written in heaven because my faith is in him. In the king of the kingdom. Christ of the gospel. And then there's another sailor. The first sailor was like, I reckon the second sailor is, woo! Think about that for a minute. Think about how blessed you are. If you're a Christian, just take a moment. I'll be quiet in a minute. I'm not very good at that. I keep feeling awkward silences. It's the story of my life. But in a minute, I'm going to give you just about 10 seconds. To think about this and to get your priorities right again and to remember who you are and whose you are in Christ. And to pray, maybe even pray in your heart, Lord, remind me again how blessed I am to be a citizen of that city. We are so blessed, guys. Praise God, we are so, so blessed. And there's nothing this world can offer us that even comes close to the blessing of being able to say with the Apostle Paul in Colossians 3, our citizenship is in heaven. We don't belong here. We don't belong here. We're aliens and strangers. When you go away on a trip, you pack a suitcase. You don't literally put the fridge in there as well, do you? Yeah, I know it's over 30 kilograms, but like, you know, I'll, I'll pay the charge. You, you travel light. You take what you need because you know this isn't home. That's who we are right now. This is suitcase time. Travel light. Don't lay out treasures on earth. Where thieves break in and steal. Where moth and rust destroys. Don't do that. Remember the greater treasure that you have in Christ. Woo. Selah. Final point. 
the worship leaders, the sons of Korah, just have this incredible response as, they, as they're just thinking about the grace of God to his enemies and to you know, those who are being brought in and, and made members of this incredible kingdom. As they make music, they will sing. We get the lyrics, all my fountains are in you. Because that's a lyric you would have written as well, right? Let's get some fountain action in there. <laughs> Got to drop that fountain lyric. Bam, drop the mic. What's a fountain about? What's going on with a fountain? Oh, the fountain's awesome. Seriously awesome. Because the fountain is referring to the springs that are welling up. And springs that give satisfaction to thirsty souls. Springs that satisfy, I mean really satisfy. Fountain's not a particularly helpful um, word. The ESV uses the word springs. I prefer that one. It also tallies with the last bit I'm going to do as well. But like, think springs, think fountains, think a source of water that will never run dry, that will never run out. Not like a tap, um, you know, where, you know, where you, the reservoir could run dry. Not like one of them dodgy little like, you know, wells you see in town centres that you wouldn't drink from there if someone paid you. I'm talking just a spring of gushing, awesome, thirst-quenching water. And they're saying, all my fountains, all my springs are in you, in this city, because this city is symbolic of what God is doing, what, what God is building through Christ, through the church. Is Christ your source of satisfaction? Is he the one to whom you turn? Do you say with the psalmist in Psalm 90, satisfy us in the morning with your steadfast love. Do you say with Isaiah in Isaiah 12? This one's a banger as well. Let me read this one for you in it. I can't quote the old thing off the pat like the, like, like the other one. Let's go Isaiah chapter 12, which is all about God's grace and, and what it means to worship and why we should worship God. Is this your experience and is this your, your, your goal as a Christian? I will praise you, Lord, although you are angry with me. Sorry, six verses, don't worry. Your anger has turned away. And you have comforted me. Surely God is my salvation. I will trust and not be afraid. The Lord, the Lord himself is my strength and my defense. He has become my salvation. With joy you will draw, you will draw water from the wells of salvation. That's Christianity. With joy, every day we have a reason, an opportunity to dip our bucket in that spring and chug on it, chug, 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 and then go down again because it doesn't run out. There will never be an end to the reasons that we can have to worship God and to delight ourselves in Him and to satisfy ourselves in Him. Nothing this world can offer will satisfy us in the same way. They sing about the fountains because they're singing about satisfaction that doesn't run out. Everything else will run out. Everything else will break, but you don't run out of grace through Christ. You don't the, the, the spring of living water doesn't run out and doesn't run dry. There will always be enough. What are you doing to chug on that today and tomorrow? Like, do you just attend church and hope that somehow by attending you get a little shot in the arm? Or do you commit to local church and say, I want to be part of a group of people who are just like all around the thing, you know, chugging buckets and like swigging it and passing it to the next person and reveling in our salvation in God, in Christ? Do you revel in it? And do you long to just help other people to revel in it as well? Are you part of a local church? Are you in the scriptures daily saying, God, like the next like 18 hours or so, we're going to be savage. So can you like give me something that I can that just really do my soul good? I'm chasing it. I need it. I'm, I'm craving it. Like, like I crave my first morning coffee. Do you pray even when you don't feel like it? Do you pray yourself into prayer? You wrestle. God, help me have faith. Help me to strive after you and to, and, and to love you and live for you. There's so many distractions, guys. So many things that offer satisfaction that doesn't truly satisfy. 
Just flip on a few uh, chapters in Isaiah and you get to Isaiah 55 and you, you just get the impression that like Isaiah knows exactly what it's like living in this world with his pains and his frustrations and his temptations, his distractions, his failures, his capitulations. Come, all you who are thirsty. Come to the waters. And you who have no money, come, buy and eat. Come buy wine and milk without money and without cost. Why spend money on what is not bread and your labor on what does not satisfy? Listen, listen to me and eat what is good and you will delight yourself in the richest of fear. Give your and come to me. Listen that you may live. I will make an everlasting covenant with you, my faithful love promised to David. Do you see what he's doing there? He's urging people. Don't go anywhere else for this. Don't, don't wait for that thing or that relationship or that money or that promotion or that car or that house or that holiday or that whatever it is. Come, come as you are and drink deep of his grace. Come without money because you don't buy your salvation. You don't earn your salvation. You don't prove yourself to God. Heaven is not going to be populated with people who are better than others. Heaven's not going to be full of people that did all the right things and didn't fail on, in, in certain areas. Heaven is full of people who came empty-handed and said, nothing in my hand I bring. Simply to the cross I cling. That's the only thing I've got. Maybe some of you here haven't trusted Christ. Maybe some of you here don't know what it's like to say, I'm the most blessed person on earth. Maybe you feel like the most wretched person on earth right now. Maybe sin is, and guilt for sin is crushing you. Maybe fear of the future has paralyzed you. Maybe just trying to get up on everyone else has actually made you into a thoroughly unpleasant person. And you realize that. And you're like, I don't want to be that person. What happened to me? With all the love in my heart, don't fight for, for kudos in this world. Don't fight to be respected out there. But come empty-handed and come and drink and trust and believe and receive the grace of God in Christ. And come again and again and again and again. Coming to Christ isn't like you were like driving badly. So Jesus, you say, Jesus, take the wheel. He steadies it a bit and says, right, back over to you again. Nah, it's not like that because you just crash it again. It's take the wheel and keep the wheel. I don't want to try and save myself anymore. I don't want to be the captain of my own destiny anymore. I cling to you. I hold to you. There's nothing more blessed than being part of your city, part of what you're building, part of what you're doing, part of your church. There's nothing more, more awesome than that. Brothers and sisters, please, if you love Christ, don't let anything dazzle or distract you from him. And if you don't love Christ, I plead of you with all my love, please be reconciled to God today. He knows you, everything. The stuff you've never told anyone, he knows that, he sees that, and he still loves you. His blood will cover that. All of it. Forever. You will stuff up again. There'll be grace for you still. Because his spring doesn't run dry. And if you'd like to talk to me or anybody who brought you here or one of the leaders of this church about what it means to commit more to being part of this local church or to come to Christ and put your faith in him, please speak to someone. Please. He loves you. The city rings out with anthems of his love. So we look back. We look around. But like I said, we also need to look forward. Don't worry, some of you are thinking, he's not even going to go to heaven. He's going to stay in Jerusalem. Don't worry, we're going to heaven. I can't wait as it goes. <laughs> some, some days that feels like a really good option. 
But see, this city, this Zion city, was only ever meant to be a, a precursor to a much more glorious city. A much more glorious day. A day that for all Christians is a day that we're all really holding on for. Ever picked up a book and thought, I'm not sure how this book's going to end. I'm going to read the last page first, just in case. You ever done that? We're going to do that now. Because I love knowing how it's going to finish, guys. I love the fact that I'm not going to be able to stop God doing what God is going to do. Because as surely as he founded that city on that hill, he's founding this city on this hill. And he will bring the pass what we're about to read in a minute. And that's not because we're the good guys. It's because he is gracious and kind. A faithful covenant keeping God. And this is why we bank all our hope in this world where city after city after city. I mean, there's not, there's not one city in this world right now that says, hmm, God's there. This world is so depressing. The news is so depressing. I put no hope in politicians to sort it out. I put no, no hope in the strength of anybody's army or the range of anybody's missiles. I don't trust the banks or the financial system to make us all prosperous and happy. We need a better ending than what we're currently being offered. A more stable ending. Amen? Amen. A happier ending? So how I'd love to end this sermon is by reading Revelation 21 in its entirety. Shamelessly. Because it describes what all this is pointing to and the themes we've been looking at throughout this thing. The city of God, the presence of God, the grace of God, the satisfaction of God. It's all here. And Christian, as I read this, I want to encourage you just to love it. Let it wash over you. Like when you go dip in the sea in a boiling hot, on a boiling hot day and the water just refreshes you and cools you. And if you're not a Christian, please, as I read this, know that the invitation is for you too. If you will put your faith in Christ. Let me read it. It's such a banging chapter. Oh. May Lord help us to believe this now, I pray in Jesus' name. May these not be words and nice ideas. May these truths go deep into our hearts. That the eternal reality of them would strengthen us, galvanize us, convict us, shape us for the rest of our lives in Jesus' name. Amen. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look! God's dwelling place is now among the people and he will dwell with them. They will be his people and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. I've got to press pause a minute, guys. I apologize, but I don't apologize. He writes our names in the book personally and he doesn't assign an angel to wipe our tears away. He wipes our tears away personally. You see that? We are so intimately loved by our Saviour. Let's carry on. There will be no more death. Can I get an amen? amen. Can, I, can, I, can, I, can I get a better amen? amen. Thanks. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain. 
For the old order of things has passed away. Thank you, Lord. He who was seated on the throne said, I'm making everything new. Then he said, write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. He said to me, it's done. I'm the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. Here's our springs. To the thirsty, I will give water without cost from the spring of the water of life. Those who are victorious will inherit all of this. And I'll be their God and they will be my children. But the cowardly, the unbelieving, the vile, the murderers, the sexually immoral, those who practice magic arts, the idolaters, and all liars, they will be consigned to the fiery lake of burning sulfur. This is the second death. One of the seven angels who had the seven bowls full of the seven last plagues came and said to me, Come, I'll show you the bride, the wife of the lamb. I love that phrase. And he carried me away in the spirit to a mountain great and high and showed me the holy city, Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God. Can't wait to see that. It shone with the glory of God and his brilliance was like that of a very precious jewel, like a jasper, clear as crystal. It had a great high wall with 12 gates and with 12 angels at the gates. On the gates were written the names of the 12 tribes of Israel. There were the three gates on the east, three on the north, three on the south and three on the west. The wall of the city had 12 foundations and on them were the names of the 12 apostles of the Lamb. The angel who talked with me had a measuring rod of gold to measure the city, its gates and its walls. The city was laid out like a square, as long as it was wide. He measured the city with the rod and found it to be 12,000 stadia in length. That's about 1,400 miles. And as wide and high as it is long. Imagine a 1,400 mile cube. My friend, there's room for you. There's room. The angel measured the wall using human measurement and it was 144 cubits thick. The wall was made, of pure, was made of jasper, the city of pure gold and pure as glass. The foundations of the city walls were decorated with every kind of precious stone. The first foundation was jasper, the second sapphire, the third agate, the fourth emerald, the fifth onyx, the sixth ruby, the seventh chrysolite, the eighth beryl, the ninth topaz, the tenth turquoise, the eleventh jacinth and the twelfth amethyst. The twelve gates were twelve pearls, each gate made of a single pearl. The great street of the city was of gold, as pure as transparent glass. I didn't see a temple in the city, because the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are its temple. The city doesn't need the sun or the moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives it light. And the Lamb is its lamp. The nations will walk by its light. And the kings of the earth will bring their splendor into it. On no day will its gates ever be shut. For there will be no night there. The glory and honor of the nations will be brought into it. Nothing impure will ever enter into it. Nor will anyone who does what is shameful or deceitful. But here's a bit. But only those whose names are written in the Lamb's book of life. Is your name in that book? I pray your name's in that book. This one was born in Zion. This one and that one were born in Zion. The Lord says this one was born in Zion. Were you born in Zion? Let's pray. Lord, 
even now, I, I feel that like this last little bit has just been so inadequate to, to, sh- to show the glory of what you're doing, what you've done for us, to adequately convey the wonder of your plan for your people, the glory of your grace. Because I don't think anyone could really do a good job of explaining heaven. I pray it was enough, Lord, to encourage weary saints. I pray it was enough, Lord, to encourage and strengthen those who are struggling in faith. I pray it was enough, Lord, to be fresh air for those who feel suffocated right now. I pray it was enough, Lord, to convict sinners of their sin and to show them the hope they have if they trust in Christ. Help us, Lord, to revel in our Saviour, to rejoice in his salvation, and to remember that we are citizens of a better city, a city yet to come. Help us live as those citizens should live, for your glory and our joy. Amen. Amen. We're going to sing, to close, just a stonking hymn. This is a hymn written by John Newton, who wrote Amazing Grace, but he also done this one. And this one was clearly, because he, he spent some time in a coffee shop with a guy from his church as well, read Psalm 87 and thought, I'm going to write a song about that. And this is what the song is. It's literally based on the psalm we just read. Last verse has got these epic lyrics. Solid joys and lasting treasures, none but Zion's children know. Let's sing like we're grateful to be part of that family. Amen. <laughs>